morning. My name is Steve Murphy, lead minister here at Discover. Grateful to see you guys here in the building. And uh, if you're checking us out online, we're just glad that you're joining us as well. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn in it to John 17. Um, you may have a printed Bible. You might have an electronic Bible. If you have an electronic Bible and you have the Version app, you can go to the events section and you'll find the sermon outline there. Um, if not, then you can follow along with the bulletin, uh, whatever you want to do. But mostly, we really want you to be in the Word of God. I want to say thanks to George Fisher for the message last week. It was great. Uh, thanks to Jordan and the worship team for doing a great job here. We had a wonderful time at the Irish Festival. Um, it was just a great opportunity at the invitation of the city of Dublin to once again come and proclaim Jesus. So that's a, that's a great thing to be able to do, and we really enjoy it. We're blessed, you know. We're so blessed to just have God in our midst. We are in the middle of a series called All the Difference. And uh, we're talking about some topics that Jesus addressed. These are kind of things toward the end of his days here on earth. And he's, we're walking through the book of John, and we're looking at just the things that John records that you won't find in Matthew, you won't find in Mark, you won't find in Luke. But these are things that Jesus is engaged in here on earth. And today we're going to talk about something very important. Jesus, um, in this series, we've already talked about how important love is. It makes all the difference. Last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. And today, we're going to talk about how unity makes all the difference. Before we do that, let's pray. God, we know that when people look at the church in our world, they don't see one church. They see lots and lots of churches. And even within churches, God, there are lots and lots of divisions at times. And we know that's not your heart. We know it's not the heart of of the gospel. So as we look at this idea of unity, just help us to embrace your heart and to move forward together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, there's a place um, in Jerusalem where they think Jesus might have been buried. And the land over that area is called the, in that area is called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. You know, kind of a big word. And uh, the problem is, first of all, no one knows for sure. Second, people tend to worship land instead of Jesus, right? But the, the thing that's really interesting about this is this piece of land is kind of in dispute, like various followers of Jesus, their little groups each feel like they have a claim to it. And they should be the ones who watch over it and protect it or something. So uh, this has been going on for years. In the 1700s, they actually divided the land. Like they physically said, this is your section. This is your section. This is your section. Don't ever go in the other person's section. Like, what are you talking about? This is, this is to be honoring to Jesus? This doesn't make any sense. In 2002... There was a a monk who was sitting in a chair. He was in his section, and uh, the sun was hot. And he thought, man, I just really would like to uh, be a little cooler. And just like three feet away, there was the shade of a tree. And so he took his chair, and he moved it, and he sat in the shade. What he didn't realize is that he had crossed the line. And they got upset with each other, and they actually had a fight. Not a little fight, a big fight. 
11 people were injured in this. One person had a broken arm. One guy had to go to the hospital. Yes, go Jesus. Yeah, great testimony, followers, right? Unbelievable. And I think, wow, is there ever any time that I'm involved in disputes, divisions? The longest prayer that we have recorded of Jesus is in John 17. The whole chapter is the prayer of Jesus. And in it, Jesus prays first for himself, then he prays for the the believers who are there, and then he prays for us, the believers who are not there. And we just real quickly want to unpack parts of this. The very first verse of this says that Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. That's kind of interesting. Like when we teach people to pray, what do we tell them to do? (laughs) Bow your head, (laughs) close your eyes. And that's okay. We understand why. But there are some really important times when we just need to look up to heaven. There's some times when we need to be on our knees. There are times when we need to raise our hands. Our physical posture is connected to our souls. Anyway, Jesus lifts up his eyes and and he prays. And in verse 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So he is praying for himself. Then verse 4 and 5. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So Jesus is praying about his mission and completing the work that God has called him to do. He's he's asking for strength. He knows what's coming. The cross, separation from the Father for the first and only time. Pain, physically and spiritually. But he says, Would you use me for your glory? Jesus, up until literally his final breath, was all about completing the work that God had for him. He did not have a retirement plan. Now, there's nothing wrong with a retirement plan. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, even if you retire from a job, you don't retire from Jesus. You don't retire from faith. You don't retire from the mission that God has for you. And so to your final breath, to my final breath, we should still want to do what God asks us to do, right? Right? Okay. I know I'm one of those guys that if people say, say this to your neighbor, I'm like, I'm not saying that to my neighbor. So I get it when I say, right? And you're like, what are you talking about? Okay, anyway. Obviously, Jesus is unique, but again, his purpose is significant to him. He wants to fulfill that. And again, I think that's a message for us. So Jesus prays for himself, but then he also prays for the people who are there with him. And, and it's a long prayer, but we're just going to jump in on verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus knows that his followers, because they stand for truth, they're going to be rejected. The world's not going to love that message. But he doesn't pray that the people will be taken out of the world. No, that would take away the whole purpose. Jesus instead says, would you protect them? Would you help them fulfill the mission? Taking my word, 
your word to the world. He doesn't pray for us to be taken out or for them to be taken out. He prays for them to be effective, even in the face of opposition. And that obviously applies to us when the truth of God creates friction. But Jesus also looks forward in time, not only praying for the people who are there gathered and the mission that he has for them, but he he prays for us. He looks through time, and he sees your face, and he prays for you. Look what he prays, starting in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. Again, not just for the people who are here, here with me right now, Father. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is getting ready to be killed in the most painful way we can imagine. Suffering physical pain and torture that we cannot imagine. Suffering spiritual torture, taking all of our sin. The Bible says he he became sin for us. Separation of Father and Son and Holy Spirit for the first and only time. Again, unbelievable. This is right before he's getting ready to go through that. And he prays for himself, like briefly. Then he prays for the people around him. And then he prays for us. And Jesus is always, always, always thinking about others. When he's on the cross, what does he do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He, he helps a thief who is dying out of his guilt to come to faith in Jesus, who is dying because of his innocence. He he makes sure that his mother is taken care of. All while he's dying, he's thinking about others. And Jesus is thinking about you and me when he's here praying. And what does he pray for? What is his heart's passion that we would be united, that we would be one. Why is our unity so important to Jesus? It's very simple. Division is damaging. When people see the church divided, it damages the reputation of the church and it actually damages the reputation of Jesus. The good news is just not as effective when we are not united. I mean, people, they see enough division in our world, right? In our country. When they see the church, they should see something different. And I'm afraid often they don't. Jesus is not concerned about external influences that would break up the church. The gates of hell can't stand against the truth of Jesus, the message of a united people. Jesus was concerned about division. 
as you said in Mark 3.25, if a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. In one of Aesop's fables, there's a story of some brothers that are fighting. They just keep fighting and fighting and fighting. They cannot get along. And so their father takes a bundle of sticks that are tied together with a cord. And he says, I want you to break these sticks. And the boys, they try. They can't. It's impossible. And he says, well, what about now? And he, he takes the cord off. He says, break these sticks. And they take them one at a time, snap them. No problem. When we're united, we can't be broken. When we're divided, it's very easy for brokenness and defeat to take place. And when we're divided, we need to check our relationship with God. There's a triangle that we use uh, a lot of times when we're doing premarital counseling or marriage counseling or any, anything where people are like struggling to get along, right? And God is at the top and one person is on one side and another person is on the other side. And the truth is, the closer we are to God, both of us, the closer we will be to each other. And the further we are from God, the further we will be from one another. So if you're divided from someone, if you aren't close to someone, it's always a really good thing to do to check your own heart with God. Where am I in this? Don't worry about the other side of the triangle and say, where are they? That's not your story. Where are you in your relationship with God? Because if both of us are close to God, we just will inherently be closer to each other. A.W. Tozer said this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Our unity is greatest when we are united with God. When we're divided, then we need to work towards unity. Jesus says in Matthew that, that we need to be reconciled to each other. If you come and you're offering a gift to the Lord, you're, you're in worship with God, and there's something between you and a brother or a sister, Jesus says, I want you to pause. I want you to go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and give your worship to God. Do it now, Jesus says. And the way you do it is important. He talks about how you, you don't go uh, to someone else and talk about that person. You just go to that person. And you try to reconcile. And if that doesn't work, you bring a third party in who is a follower of Jesus, a lover of God, and a lover of people, and says, let me see if I can help you get on the same page. Jesus came to unite us with God. That's God's heart. It's one of unity, one of reconciliation. The enemy's heart is division. So when people see us 
divided, they don't see Jesus. They just see that division. And again, it's damaging. But when we are united, then people see Jesus. Now, what does that unity look like? How do we get together? How are we united? Jesus gives us some clues right here. He says in verse 20 that we are united through belief in him. I pray for those who would believe in me that they would be one. If you're not believing in Jesus, it's not going to work. Belief in Jesus, not in creeds, not in traditions, not in my preferences. Being one in our belief in Jesus. We're to be united, not as Buckeye fans are all united. (laughs) That's not a bad thing. Not as Democrats are united, or as Republicans are united, or as independents are united. Not as people who are citizens of any particular nation are united. God calls us to something much higher and much deeper and much wider than that. He says, you need to be united as I am united. God is united. That's the standard by which Jesus calls us to be united. We're united because of, by our belief in Jesus. Many other things divide us. There's a well-known pastor. He was speaking at a conference, and he said, when I graduated from seminary, I had a list of 10 absolute essentials I would never give in on. He said, I've been in ministry 40 years-ish, so my list now stands at three. Now, you could say, oh, he compromised. He would say, no, I didn't compromise. What I understand now is that some of the things that I thought were really, really, really important, some of my essentials were not God's essentials. They were my human preferences. A mature believer will absolutely, and hear this, a mature believer will absolutely stand on the truth, will absolutely stand for the things that God stands for, and always do that in love. But a mature believer will not give in to human divisions that break God's heart. He won't do that. She won't do that. Lookout Magazine last December had an article on unity. It's just a couple of excerpts. It says, let's be honest. Unity is hard. We all have strong beliefs and we're convinced ours are correct. So we look for people who share our, quote, intelligent positions while we disparage those, quote, unintelligent people who disagree. It's problematic in the political arena. It's devastating in the church. As followers of Jesus, we must stay committed to the non-negotiables of our faith. Yet most divisions are over opinions, not vital doctrines. Unity doesn't happen when people align with my beliefs. Unity happens when we align with God's truth. Being one means we are committed to making sure people know Jesus, not making sure people know we are right. 
There's a saying in our brotherhood or sisterhood, if you will. And it's also in some other followers of Jesus traditions. And it's this. In essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, love. It's pretty good. In other words, the things that truly are essential, we have to be united in those. And again, we discover those here in the word, not here in our own heads. We need to be united on those things. But there are a lot of things that we divide over that are absolutely, totally opinions. I mean, literally churches have split over things like carpet color. It's crazy. So in opinions, we have freedom. We say in his presence, there is freedom. But in all things, even the things we don't necessarily agree on, we still have love. And that's what Jesus talks about, kind of a second clue, if you will. Not only what we believe, but how we love. Four times in this little section we read, Jesus talks about love. And then in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, you know, people will know you are my followers by the way you love each other. What was that, Jesus? They'll know that we are your followers. They'll, they'll know who you are because of our strength. No. They'll know who you are because of our wisdom. No. They'll know who you are because of our purity, right? Nope. They will know who you are, Jesus, because we are so smart. We have all the right answers. Our doctrine is incredibly good. No. Now, obviously, those things are important. But Jesus says, people will know that you're my followers. You'll know who, they'll know who I am by the way that you love each other. He says it again here in verse 23. He's praying, may they be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, another thing that's really important when we're talking about unity is this. We each have our own role, right? Unity does not equal uniformity. That's really important for us to hear. Each part of the body of Jesus has a unique role. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body was an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies each have unique functions. They have many parts, and God has put them exactly where he wants them to be. See, when we're united, it is a joy. Psalm 133.1 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Unity isn't easy, but it's always worth it. It's effective. Vance Habner said, Snowflakes are frail, but if enough of them get together, they can stop traffic. When we're united in Jesus, 
in our mission to love God, to love people, to impact the world in positive ways. In our vision to reach people, to love them wherever they are. To then walk together to learn to be more like Jesus. And to do that over and over and over. When we are united, when we are one, can you imagine what God might be able to do in us and through us? What can I do? What can I do? What can we do? What can we do together? What can we do together? Can we build a home together? Can we feed the hungry? Give hope to the hopeless? Love the abandoned? Can we light up the dark? Together we can. Juntos podemos. Together we can. What can we change? Can we change a city? A nation? The world. Can we change the world? As iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. We are God's people. We are God's people. Beloved of our Father. Entrusted with a mission. To share his love with the world. Together we can. 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 But unity, honestly, it's a challenge. It really is. But Jesus' heart is that we would be one. And that the world would believe that God the Father sent God the Son because we are one. And this heart of Jesus, it resonates through the entire New Testament. Just a few examples. Galatians chapter 3, starting verse 26. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. This is hard. It takes humility. It takes a lot of love. And we can't do this on our own. We need God to make this possible. And so we're going to end with prayer. And would you be willing to get on your knees? And we're just going to spend a few minutes here in prayer. I'll kind of direct us, but listen to the Holy Spirit and how he is leading you to be praying. As we enter this time with prayer, we once again want to to remember the words of Jesus. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me.
God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have to, we, we have to admit that we have been involved in division that breaks your heart. And we ask that you would break our hearts with the things that break your heart. Right now we pause and, and we just ask forgiveness. And we lean into that, that time where your spirit is leading us. God, we confess that it's hard for us to be humble. And we ask that you would help us to recognize our worth in you, but also to recognize the value that you place on other people and the value that you replace on us being, that you place on us being together. Help us not to think of ourselves more highly than we should, but to consider others and to put their needs above our own. God, give us wisdom. To stand for truth. to make sure that that is completely aligned with your word and with your spirit. And help us to always speak the truth in love and with grace. God, right now we we pause and we ask you to help us think of a relationship that's broken, a division that's taking place. We ask that your spirit would compel us to do what you want us to do. God, would you draw us close to you? We do want people to see Jesus. Where we are divided, God, help us to be reconciled in him. May our hearts be like the heart of Jesus. God, help us to be united in mercy, in forgiveness, in grace, in putting others first. Unite us in our, our vision to reach people with the good news, to, to love them, to follow Jesus together and, and to keep doing that over and over in order that people would be drawn to and not pushed away from Jesus. 
God, may this church be one. May your church in Central Ohio be one. May your church in our state be one. In our nation, in this world, God, may we be one. May, may the prayer of Jesus become reality in our lives. That we would be one by your grace, for your glory. And God, again, we admit we cannot do that on our own. And so we look to you for help, for strength, for wisdom. May we be like you. May we be one as you are one. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Continue with that heart of asking God to move us, to bring us to unity in the name of Jesus as we honor and praise him together. This has been a sermon series by Discover Christian Church. Find more at discovercc.org.